0: Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. the very beginning of the verse, it begins with, I beseech you therefore brethren. You see Paul's heart in the matter of communicating this truth. You see that Paul, when he is talking to these believers, he's writing to the church at Rome, He's writing to these that he's not yet met before, but you see his heart for them. He calls them brethren. You see that he has a heart for them, that he wants the best for them, and you see that in the word beseech. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. That word there means to come alongside of. And the idea, in many ways, is one of I'm on your team. I'm on your side. And you might have in in some difficult circumstances, you know, somebody's going through some trials, somebody went through a tough time. It's nice to have somebody to come alongside of you. That's what Paul is doing in this case. In other cases, you have it where things are going really well, and it's good to have somebody come alongside of you and encourage you and, and push you forward and exhort you. And what you see here in verse number one is that Paul is saying, I want the best for you. That's what Paul wanted. And really, that's what God wants as well. God wants the best for you. Not just the mediocre things, not just the good things. God wants the best things for you. Well, what is that best thing? Well, in verse number one, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. The best thing that you could do as a Christian is to sacrificially serve God. That's the best thing for you. And I want to see why sacrificial service pleases God. First of all, we see the presentation that pleases God. Because what God expects from us. Is a complete and total sacrifice of our bodies to Him. That's what it says there in verse number one. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. That means that we take our bodies and every part of our bodies and we present them to the Lord. We give it over to the Lord. We present our eyes. We take our eyes and we give them over to the Lord and say, God, here are my eyes. You are allowed to inspect and to take whatever it is that I look at. This is yours. These are your eyes. These are your hands. Whatever it is that I do with my hands, I present them to you. You can do with it as you will. We present our feet And wherever it is that it takes us to the Lord and say, God, wherever it is that I go, I'm giving it over to you. What you desire is where I want to go. What I do with my hands, what I hear with my ears, what I say with my lips, what I think with my brain, all of it is yours. Because God does not want a part of us. He wants all of us. And the theme is pleasing God with faith. In order to please God with faith, we must present all of ourselves to Him. God is not expecting a part of us all of the time. And God is not expecting all of us part of the time. God expects all of us all of the time. That is the kind of sacrifice that pleases God. A partial sacrifice is not sufficient to please the Lord. God is not pleased when we hold something back from him. He desires that we take our bodies, ourselves, our entire being, and place it on the altar of sacrifice to him. At The end of uh, the messages every single Sunday and, and during the services, we have what we call an invitation time. If you've been here before, you'll know about the invitation that we offer at the end Of every service. And while we don't have a physical altar, sometimes invite, you know, believers, people here in the church, if you heard the message, to you can pray in your seat, you could pray standing up, you could kneel there. Some people might kneel in the aisle. Sometimes we offer the invitation to come forward to the steps uh, at the altar. We call it the altar. It's of course not a real altar, but it's kind of a symbolic offering of God. I am taking my whole self. And all of it you can have. That's the kind of sacrifice that God desires. We present everything to the Lord and seek His approval. When we take our eyes, we say, God, everything that I see, I'm gonna take my Netflix account and give it over to you, God, and whatever it is that you don't want me to watch, I'm not gonna watch it. You're gonna take your social media and say, you know what, these people, you know that that I'm following these these accounts that I I watch. You know it's it's not pleasing to you. So all right, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna watch those anymore if that does not please you. We hand over our smartphones and say, God, what are the apps that you desire for me to have, and what are the apps that you desire for me not to have, for me to get rid of? Even it, it, down to our friendships and relationships, how we should handle each of our relationships. Nothing is off the table with God. It may seem that what God is asking for, which is all of us, would be a lot because there's nothing more that we could give, right? If we give ourselves, there's nothing left. You know, in 2008, I came to uh, a church service, not here. I was uh, living in the Seattle area and uh, living with my parents. I just graduated and, you know, in the, in the job search and uh, I went to church on a Wednesday night, uh, sat in the church services, and uh, I distinctly remember the Lord speaking to my heart about surrendering my life to him. Now, I had been saved. I'd been going to church uh, for my whole life, been saved for a few years, and, and uh, I had a plan of what I wanted to do with my life in terms of serving God. Uh, I, I played the piano, so I was planning on being involved with playing the piano for the choir and all the special music and for the services. Uh, you know, I was planning on, you know, when I got a job and getting some income, you know, tithing and supporting missionaries, that was my plan. And, and I thought, you know, I got to place of service. Maybe one of these days I might teach a class or be involved in, you know, leading some ministry, things like that. I, I had some ideas of what I wanted to do. And And all of those things are fine things. There's nothing wrong with playing the piano, being involved in ministry, teaching a class, tithing, all of these things are good things. They're wonderful things. The only thing is that's what I wanted to do and I had not yet presented myself as an offering to the Lord and said, God, whatever you want for me to do. And it's at that moment that God said, now that I have all of you, let me tell you what I want you to do with your life. And sometimes it can seem like a lot. It can seem like offering our entire lives, our bodies, our careers, all of our thoughts, all of our actions, all of the things that we listen to and watch would be a big sacrifice. But the Bible says here that it is your reasonable service. Giving my entire life, all of my body, all of my time to God is reasonable. The word here for reasonable in the Greek is the word logikos, from which we get our word logical. So you could even think of it as, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your logical service. It is logical for us to present our whole bodies To the lord the converse of that is it is illogical for us to hold something back the feeling sometimes can be that if you surrender your life to god you're making a big commitment wow what a big commitment you must be serious about god you must be a real christian no if you offer your life to god it's not a big commitment It's a reasonable commitment. It's a reasonable thing to do. It is unreasonable not to give all to God. Why? Giving our bodies as a living sacrifice to God is completely reasonable and logical because of his consistency. See, God is not asking for anything from us that he has not already given to us god is asking for our bodies because he gave us his body this past wednesday we had the first lord's supper of the year and as a church we encourage every church member you know do your best to make it out it's one of the two ordinances we are commanded to uh, remember the lord's sacrifice And when he instituted that Lord's Supper in Luke chapter 22, when we see the words there, it says, And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. See, God gave to us his body. It was beaten, it was broken, and he was sacrificed for our sins. So when he gave us our body and we understand that he did, we understand also it is unreasonable for us to say, God, even though you gave me your body, I'm not giving you mine. That's unreasonable, right? It's unreasonable that God would give to us his body, but then in return we would say, God, I know that you gave me your body, but I'm not giving you mine in return. That's unreasonable we would say that's not fair. It's unfair for us not to give it all to the Lord. Giving our bodies as a living sacrifice is completely reasonable and logical, not just because of his consistency, but because of his compassion. You're there in Romans chapter 12. Go back to Romans chapter 11 in verse number 32. It says, for God hath uh, concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. God had mercy upon each and every one of us, not giving us the punishment and judgment that we deserve. Because Romans chapter 6 says, For the wages of sin is death. And God in his mercy gave himself on the cross for our sins so that we might be saved. And God, having saved us, those of us that have trusted in Jesus Christ, And Jesus Christ alone to save us from our sins is asking us to present our bodies to Him. God is loving and merciful and compassionate, wanting the best for us, and He is asking for us to present our bodies to Him. There's a song that we sing, one of the hymns, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, My richest gain I count but loss, and pour contempt on all my pride. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small, love so amazing, so divine, shall have my heart, my life, my all. It's completely reasonable for us to present our bodies a living sacrifice to God because of his consistency. See, God gave to us himself, and it's not unreasonable for him to ask for the same in return. He was compassionate enough to give us his body so that we might be saved. It is reasonable for us to give our bodies a living sacrifice to the Lord also because of his counsel. In verse number 33, Romans 11, verse number 33, it says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? The idea is that God knows everything. He knows everything about you. He knows every thought that you've ever had. He knows every experience you've ever been through. He knows every circumstance that you're going to go through. And he knows the outcome of every decision that you might make. Knowing all of these things, God contains and has, possesses all wisdom. Knowing everything, God knows the right decision to make. Because he knows everything. And he has all wisdom. And the idea is that it's not unreasonable for us to give our bodies a living sacrifice to God. Because God knows better what to do with our bodies than we do. See, we think we've got it figured out. I know what I want to do, or this is the direction that I want to take, but God knows exactly what we should do, when we should do it, and how we should do it to have the best results. So this is the logical thing. Do you agree with that? It is reasonable for us to give our bodies a living sacrifice to god it's not reasonable for us to hold something back when god did not hold anything back from us go back to romans chapter number eight i don't think we have these verses here on the screen but i i want to show you just a few verses Romans chapter eight, verse number 28, it says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Verse number 31 says, What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Do you see the heart of God? The heart of God is he wants the best for you. Wanting the best for you, he gave his son. Knowing that he has given us the son, Paul is arguing, what wouldn't he give to us? He would give us everything that we would need. Therefore, going to Romans chapter number 12, we see it is completely reasonable for us to give everything to God. That's the logical thing if that is the logical thing and the reasonable thing which that is what the bible says it is your reasonable service if that is the logical and reasonable thing why doesn't every christian do it right we like to think of ourselves as being reasonable people right nobody here would say i'm an unreasonable person right we all think we're being reasonable We all think that we're being logical. If we are being reasonable and logical, we would give ourselves over to the Lord, our entire bodies, our entire lives, our entire being. But if that is true, then why doesn't everybody do it? One of the biggest reasons is simply that the world doesn't want you to do it. And it will do everything that it can to stop you from presenting your bodies a living sacrifice wholly acceptable unto God which leads us to the pressure against pleasing God verse number two Romans chapter 12 verse number two says what and be not conformed to this world the word here for conform has the idea of molding don't be molded to the world see a lot of the things that we by today are made with molds pretty much anything that you buy that's made of plastic is made of a mold right plastic tupperware made with a mold plastic storage bins made with a mold plastic toys made with a mold right they have this little mold this set pattern of what they want the thing to look like and they just squeeze all of the plastic or however it is that they do it into the mold they let it harden and then they pull it out and that plastic is in the shape of the mold and that's the idea of the world the world has a mold that it desires to shape you into it desires that you would look like the world and this mold is pervasive right let's say you had a mold for like a plastic car right you had a little plastic toy car that you want to make you would squeeze the plastic into the mold and as you did so then the result would be that the plastic would look like a little plastic car toy, right? If you didn't want it to look like a plastic car, then simply don't put it into the mold, right? Keep it out of the mold and it won't look like that. That's easy enough, which is fine for plastic toys, but it is not fine for us because there is nowhere that we can escape from the mold of the world because the mold is the world. Everywhere that you go, you're in the world. Meaning, everywhere that you go, you're still in the mold. You're at home, you're in the mold of the world. You go to work, you're in the mold of the world. You're on vacation, you're in the mold of the world. You're by yourself, you're in the mold of the world. You're just scrolling through Instagram or TikTok or whatever, you're in the mold of the world. It's pervasive. It's everywhere, and even if you lived off by yourself, isolated from all of humanity, living by yourself, you are still in the mold because your flesh desires to make you just like the world. And because we live in this mold of the world, it is constantly pushing on us to mold us into the world, into itself. Whether we know it or not, Whether we acknowledge it or not, that is what happens. When I was in Bible college, uh, I went to college in Lancaster. I went to West Coast Baptist College. And uh, when I was there, I went to college for, I think, maybe one semester. It might have been two, but I think it was one semester with Pastor Choi's niece. Uh, Pearl. Some of you may know Pearl, some of you may have met her before, and uh, she's been through here before, so some of you might be familiar with her, Uh, but she was a a student at West Coast before I got there, and uh, I don't remember the exact circumstances, but she had to go back home for a little while before she returned, and then she graduated, uh, I think either with me or the next year, something like that. Anyway, Pearl is from Australia, and so being from Australia, she has that Australian accent, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? And uh, so when, when she came, I didn't know her at all. I, I didn't know anything about her. And uh, so she came and she had that Australian accent, you know? And, uh, you know, it's one of those accents that people are like, oh, that's a great accent. That's a cool accent. And uh, I remember people telling her things like, don't lose your accent, right? You're here in America. Don't lose your accent. I love your accent. It's an awesome accent. Don't lose the accent. And she would say things like I'm trying not to, but it's hard because when she came to America, she was surrounded by us Americans, which in comparison is not as cool of an accent as her Australian accent that everybody loved. And so as she was simply spending time with us, her accent began to fade. I haven't talked to her in a long while. I don't know if she's still, you know, how much of that is still there. But, you know, as she spent more and more time isolated away from her home and more and more time with us, her accent was being molded more and more into ours and simply being with us it's not like any one of us was telling her stop talking like that talk like us none of us was telling her that we were all telling her you should keep the accent that's awesome that's great everybody loves it but simply by talking the way that we talk which is different from how she talked it was being an influence on her she wasn't home with the people that talked like her and because of that we were collectively pulling her away from that accent that was natural and native to her the thing about us as christians is we are not home this world is not our home we live in a world where everybody talks different from the things of god Things apart from the word of God things that are opposed to God one day we will be with God but we are not yet there we are surrounded in our workplaces in our families watching TV being on the internet all of these things and simply by being on those things even as innocuous as some of these things might be wickedness is thrown in our faces philosophy contrary to the word of god spiritual wickedness social media is a big problem to many christians you know, it started innocent enough, right? You just be able to keep in touch with your friends, right? I just want to see how my friend is doing. I just want to be able to see pictures of what they're posting. And now it has evolved into this thing where now we see all sorts of things from random people and people that we don't know, or people share with us things that, you know, they thought was cool or interesting or things like that. And it's just constant and pervasive And when you live in the world and you're trying to live for God and you're trying to present your body as a living sacrifice to God and the entire world is moving in the opposite direction, it's difficult. Not only that, the mold of the world is powerful. Ephesians chapter 6 verse number 12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. This verse communicates to us there is real spiritual power that desires to mold you into the world. My kids, uh, every once in a while, would get like Play-Doh and things like that, and so with these, you know, Play-Doh sets or different things, you know, you get these little molds, right? These little things that, you know, are in the shape of like a, you know, a giraffe or a lion or, you know, the face of a bear. You know, you have these little things, you pack it in there and you, you know, push it in and then you pull it out and it looks like whatever it is that you put it in. And uh, so my kids would do that. They would they would put the, the play-doh in there. But you know, my kids are not, you know, they're little kids, you know, they're not they're not that strong. And so they would put the little clay in the mold in and they, they would push it in and they would dump it out and they would look at it and be a little disappointed because you know there'd be like little missing parts, you know, it wasn't quite exactly right, and so part of the face would be missing because they didn't push it all the way in. And so they would ask me to make these little play-doh animals for them and so they would they would bring the play-doh to me and give the little mold to me and then i would use all of my awesome father strength you know and i would squeeze it in there you know and make sure every crevice of the mold was filled you know and then i would pull it out and they would be so happy oh you know i could tell it's a line and they would play with these different things you know you know if we had this soft gentle force of the world You know it might be a little bit easier to resist but there is great spiritual power that is pushing on us into the mold to make us just like the world that's what the world is that's what the world does but make no mistake about it the mold of the world is poisonous Matthew chapter 13, verse number 22 says, He also that receives seed among thorns is he that heareth the word, and the care of this world and the deceit of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. People go into the world, believers, Christians go into the world, live the way of the world, and then wonder why there's no fruit. I go to church every single week. Where's the fruit? It's because of the molding of the world that happens on every believer when you go to work, sometimes even when you're with your family, when you're with your friends, when you're on the internet, it happens. Before I moved to California, many of you will know this, I lived in New Jersey. And in New Jersey, uh, we lived in a, a, one of these big apartment complexes. You know, there was like, I don't know, 100 plus apartments in this big complex. And each of the buildings was like three floors. We lived on the third floor, which has its pros and cons. Uh, We were given a choice. You want the bottom floor, middle floor, top floor. And I said, I want the top floor because, you know, I don't want to hear people stomping on the, you know, the ceiling above us, you know, I wanted to be on the top floor. And so that was the reason that I wanted to be on the top floor. The big con was in the summer, you were roasting in the apartment. I mean, we would come home from work in the summertime and it would be absolutely blazing in our apartment. And so there was like this air conditioner in the living room, but it was like one of those where like you had to actually physically turn it on. And so uh, my father-in-law my wife's dad gave us an air conditioner. We would stick it into the bedroom uh, window we, timed, we we set it up with either a timer or some, you know, one of those smartphone apps, you know, that you could set it, what time it turns on and off and stuff like that. And we would set it to turn on a couple of uh, hours before we would get home. And so we would get into our apartment, we would walk in the door and it's blazing hot in the living room. We would walk straight through the living room into the bedroom where we will be nice and cool, you know. And so the rest of the evening we would stay in the bedroom where it was nice and cool. And so we lived there for a little while. And one of the nice things that we had was we had a little balcony. And on the balcony was this, you know, little railing. And uh, so my wife, you know, wanted to have like, you know, one of those little, I don't know if you call it a garden or whatever, but you know, these little planters, that she would put over the railing, and, you know, she planted a few different things, you know? We never really saw a great harvest because there are squirrels that would jump onto the roof and then they would eat all of the little plants and, you know, all of those things, and so we never really saw too much fruit, but when we moved here to California, we, we lost all of that because we don't have a balcony, we don't barely get any sunlight at all, and so, you know, uh, so we, we, we don't really have anything, but uh, this past Christmas, my wife got one of these little indoor, I don't know, garden things, and uh, it's one of those things where it's got like the light on top, you know, and you put the little, you know, the soil pods with the seeds and stuff like that, and it, and it grows, and so we just got this, and so it's growing these little things, and you're, you're supposed to put water into the tank, and you put the nutrition food, plant food or whatever into the water, and it grows, and so we're starting to get these little things, you know, Uh, I think we have, like, a cilantro plant and it's, like, growing, you know, and so we we have to cut it, you know, and so I gave it to my kids. Here, eat some cilantro, you know, so they're, you know, they're eating cilantro and stuff, and so we get some basil, I think we're going to get, you know, there's still a little, a few little things that we're not, just to be honest, I'm not sure exactly what it is yet, but it's just this tiny little thing uh, that's still growing out, and uh, I was, I was trying to set this thing up. And, uh, you know, trying to figure out what it is and how it works and stuff like that. And one of the things that it says is that this light (coughs) stays on for 16 hours. And I wasn't, I don't know what I was thinking, but I didn't think that it would stay on for 16 hours. Because, I don't know, maybe I thought, well, the sun never shines for 16 hours. But this little machine, and I'm sure that they know all of these things, sets the light for 16 hours a day every single day and you put it into this tank and the water with the the food is in there every single minute of every single day. Now imagine if I were to take these poor little seed pods and I put it in there with the water and the food and the light and I gave it light for an hour and then I shut it off for the rest of the week. And I took the little pod and I put it into that nice plant food water for about an hour. And then I took it out and I dumped it into Weed Killer and I left it there the rest of the week. Is it any wonder that we wouldn't see any fruit? We would be like, of course there's not going to be any fruit. But what the world is trying to do is take you out of the environment of spiritual growth and put you into spiritual weed killer, which is the world. (coughs) And it'll use any means necessary. It'll use your TV. It'll use your phone. It'll use your workplace. It'll use your friends. It'll use anything in order to push you away from presenting your bodies a living sacrifice to God and mold you into itself. Now, if we live in this world and the pressure is pervasive and it is powerful, how can we not be molded? Well, that brings us to the power for pleasing God. Verse number two, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing Of your mind. The basic idea here is to act different you have to be different. The idea here is not merely to try to look different or behave different. The idea is to be different. The word here for transform is a word from which we get our word metamorphosis. That's the word that we use for caterpillars that transform into butterflies. I'm, you know, we all remember as kids, like, whoa, caterpillars, that's where butterflies come from? They come from caterpillars? How does that work? In many ways, I think we still don't know. But butterflies are caterpillars that have been transformed. Just like you would not tell a caterpillar, why can't you act more like that butterfly? It would say, I can't act like a butterfly because I'm not a butterfly, right? sometimes the reason why Christians struggle and they say, I know I should do this, or they have a mom or a dad that tells them, this is what you should be doing. And they're not doing it. They're not acting like they ought to act. One of the reasons is they're not different. They've not yet been transformed. They've not yet been saved. Are you saved today? Hey, there's no point in us going through all the religious activities and all the religious, you know, uh, practices and traditions if we have not yet been transformed by God. And notice that the phrasing there is, don't transform yourself. The word there, or the phrasing of it is, be transformed. We are told to be transformed. That word for transform is used three other times in the Bible. Twice it is used to describe Jesus when he went up on the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember that? He took Peter, James, and John. He went up on the Mount, and he was transfigured before them. He was changed. His uh, appearance was totally different. That's two of the times that the word transform was used. The third time, the other time that it's used, is in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. The Bible there says, but we all with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. The idea here is as we are continually exposed to the glory of God, God's glory changes us. The picture here, if you look at some of the earlier verses there in 2 Corinthians 3, it references Moses in the Old Testament. Moses in the Old Testament, after the children of Israel were led out of Egypt, remember he was there on the mount and he was up in the mountain getting the law of God? He was there, the Bible says, for 40 days and 40 nights, writing down the law of God on tablets. In Exodus 34, the Bible says, And it came to pass when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony in Moses' hand, when he came down from the mount, that Moses wist not, he didn't know, that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. Moses goes up into the mountain, and he's spending 40 days and 40 nights in the presence of the glory of God, spending that time changed his appearance. His face was literally glowing when he came down and everybody was looking at Moses like, what is going on? And Moses had no idea. It almost sounds like a comedy. Moses is like, hey, what's going on, guys? You know, and everybody's like, do you know what's going on with your face? No, what's, what's going on? It's literally glowing. And so the Bible says that whenever he would come down, he would wear a veil to cover his face. And then when he would go back up into the mountain, he would lift up the veil and get exposure to the Lord, and his face would shine. First John chapter 3, verse number 2 says, Behold, now are we the sons of God, And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. We will be like God because we will have direct exposure to the Lord. And that exposure will change us. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number six is the verse from which we get our theme verse. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. The direct context of this verse comes from the verse before it, in verse number five, where it says, by faith, Enoch was translated, he was taken, that he should not see death. God took him directly to heaven, to the presence of God, without dying, and was not found, because God had translated him. For he ha- uh, for before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Genesis chapter 5 says, And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years. The Bible doesn't say that Enoch walked with God once a week. It doesn't say that Enoch walked with God often. It says that he walked with God for 300 years. It was a continual constant walking with god see here's the thing about for instance coming to church i'm glad that all of you are here and i encourage every single person saved or lost go to church because what's going to make the difference is not going to church per se but god and his presence, and his word that will change us. Just like walking around a hospital is not going to make you better, but having the doctor who is at the hospital do a procedure on you will make you better. That's the idea of why we come to church. We come to church to be changed. Amen? Amen. All right. We come to church to be changed. We are changed. When God works on us, when God changes us. Hebrews chapter 13 says, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight. The idea here is that God is the one who does the work, working on us, we become more like him, and that's what pleases him. Remember Peter when he walked on the water? Remember, they were in the middle of a big storm, and Jesus is walking on the water. And remember, Peter says, ah, it's a ghost. And Jesus says, oh, be of good cheer. It is I. And Peter says, if it is you, tell me to come out on the water. And Jesus says, come on the water. And he went on the water. And he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But the Bible says in verse number 30, but when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried saying, Lord, save me. You ever feel like that? You ever feel like you're looking around and what is going on? And you take your eyes off of the Lord and you begin to sink. Immediately, Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? we say that Peter walked on the water, and technically that is true, but it's not really Peter that walked on the water, right? You see what I'm saying? It's Jesus who empowered Peter to walk on the water. It was God who was doing it through him. All Peter had to do was keep his eyes on jesus trusting in him and god would allow for him to walk on the water we sing the song turn your eyes upon jesus look full in his wonderful face and the things of verse will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace see to act different we have to be different and to be different We have to be renewed in our mind. That's what verse number two says. To be different, we have to think different. So I was thinking about this week because this next weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, we have the revival services. And I think this is a very important weekend. When we have special preaching services and we're praying for revival, I think it's an important weekend. I think it's something that we should prioritize. I think it's something that we should think about. And in prioritizing it, I don't just mean we should prioritize Friday night from 7.30 till 8.30 or 9 or whenever we're done, and Saturday from 8.30 till, or 7.30 till 8.30 or 9, and Saturday morning at 9.30. I hope that you will do these things. But the question is, do we really want revival? I mean, real revival, not just to sit through a service, but to be revived, to have our church to be full of life, to be changed. That's my desire, and I'm sure that that's your desire as well. And if that is your desire, can I encourage you then this week to put all of your mind and all of your thoughts on the Lord? Because this pervasive world that is out there is going to do all that it can this week to mold you into itself. But if we will be more like Christ, we must keep our eyes upon the Lord, and we must keep our mind upon the Lord. Can I encourage you this week, as we head into revival, let's put away all of the things of the world. All right, even the things that are maybe, you know, not you know, so terrible, you know. I'm on social media and, uh, you know, there's big pros and big cons and, you know, I don't really post a lot, I don't really comment, I don't really, you know, I don't really interact a lot with, you know, social media, but I like to watch and see what other people are doing. But even still, you get advertisements, sometimes you accidentally click on something and something else shows up, you know. Can I encourage you this week? Let's not turn on the TV like we usually do. Let's not go through social media like we usually do. Let's not listen to the radio, sports radio, all of these different things and talk about all of these usual things. Can I ask you for just this week, let's keep our eyes upon Jesus and Jesus alone. Can I ask you, if you have Spotify, why don't you just put that away for a little while and let's just keep our ears to the things of God. Can I ask you to do that? Just to listen to music that'll draw your attention to the Lord to ask god god the ears that i have i'm presenting them to you and i want to listen to things that will praise you and draw me closer to you god these eyes that are mine i want to give them over to you and i will not let them see anything or look at anything that you don't want me to look at god here are the the, the lips that i have I don't want to say anything that is opposed to what you would have for me to do God, I want to give my whole body in living sacrifice to you because I know that's a reasonable, logical thing to do.